Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's word. Please be seated. Let's pray together as we come now to study God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of having this opportunity now to study the Bible. We know that it is a precious book. Even if we are not a believer ourselves here this morning, we know that it is a greatly valued book with ancient wisdom. And for those of us who believe in you, God, we find in your word a claim that when we read it, we are hearing you speak. And so we pray as we come now to study your word that indeed by your spirit you would speak to us and that you would uh, soften our hearts and enable us to receive uh, what it is that you say. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, let me uh, say thank you so much to the choir and all the children who've been involved and uh, Nathan read in an exemplary fashion. Uh, we should invite him along to the staff meeting to instruct us all on how to do it. It was perfect. So thank you, Nathan. Well, this morning we are looking at uh, this theme of fasting. Uh, and the reason why we're doing that is because that's where we've got to in the Sermon on the Mount. And as you may remember, Jesus in this section is considering various practices that are common to different religions, and yet, in each of them, he's asking us to do them in a distinct way. And the reason for that is following Jesus uh, is not just being religious. There are many different kinds of religion in the world, aren't there, my friends? And uh, there's much religiosity in the Christian world as well. Perhaps you grew up uh, going to church and uh, perhaps you grew up in a Christian home. And since uh, your mother's milk, you have been surrounded by religion. We in Wheaton are very familiar with religion. And so it is important that we pay a special attention when Jesus distinguishes what it means to follow him uh, from what it means just to be religious. And Jesus is distinguishing what it means to follow him from what it means to be a pagan and indeed uh, also to be a hypocrite. And uh, we'll look at uh, that in relation to fasting. He's addressed giving and praying and, as I say now, fasting. 
Now, perhaps until a few short years ago, fasting was the forgotten cousin of devotional life, like one of those relatives that uh, you meet on occasions over the summer when you go to the cottage. You cannot quite remember their name. We're aware that fasting is in the Bible somewhere, uh, but we're not quite sure what we should do about it. More recently, however, at least in some circles, there has been a renewal of interest in the practice of fasting. I think uh, for some it feels to be an effective antidote to the materialism of our late Western culture. We're fascinated these days in secular culture and even in church uh, sometimes by things, by money, by possessions. Well, fasting, of course, going without is uh, very much different from that. And perhaps it feels to some people to be an effective antidote to materialism. For others, perhaps it feels authentic, uh, somehow uh, uh, real or ancient. We perhaps read about the church fathers and in the ancient church and we discover practices of fasting. And something about that appeals to us. It feels a little romantic because it's ancient. There was no strip mall in the first few centuries, but they fasted. And it feels real then. Now, if there is something of a renewal of interest in the practice of fasting, it is even more important that especially on this topic, we learn from Jesus what uh, is true fasting and how that should distinguish the followers of Jesus from the followers of any other religion, or indeed Christianity just as a kind of religiosity. We need to pay a special attention to this. Well, first of all then, I want you to notice that uh, as with the acts of righteousness, uh, Jesus, as with prayer and giving, uh, Jesus, so with fasting, assumes that his followers will fast. And this may be news to some of us here, and perhaps most of us. I've never even considered that being a Christian might mean fasting on occasions. But uh, can you notice that in the same way that Jesus begins his teaching about praying, so here he doesn't say, if you fast, just as then he didn't say, if you pray. He says, when you fast. And so Jesus is assuming that his followers will fast. Perhaps uh, you know that elsewhere, In the Bible, the question arose as to why John's disciples fasted and Jesus' disciples did not. And perhaps you remember how Jesus answered that. He said that while, uh, he used this analogy, while the bridegroom is with them, the guests of the bridegroom don't fast, but when he's gone, they will. In other words, Jesus is saying that uh, when uh, he was uh, with his disciples, uh, they did not fast, but afterwards they would, and indeed they did There's plenty of evidence that the early Christians fasted. Here are some examples for us. Paul. Paul fasted for three days after he'd been struck blind on uh, the road to Damascus when he met the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, Before Ananias came to visit him, he fasted for three days in preparation and in seeking God. Uh, The church at Antioch, the great missionary sending church, interestingly, they fasted and prayed before they sent Paul and Barnabas out on the first missionary journey. So it was a sending conviction as well as a conversion conviction. 
Uh, Paul and Barnabas themselves fasted before they appointed elders in the churches which they had planted. So they went around planting churches and then they circled back and they appointed elders in the churches and before they did so, they fasted. And so it's not just a sending conviction, not just a conversion conviction, it's a leadership conviction as well. Now, of course, we know, don't we, that Jesus himself fasted in a miraculous way for 40 days. And he fasted before he began his public ministry. And of course, none of us, I suspect, should ever attempt such a long fast. But Jesus did fast. Now, why is there this practice of fasting in the New Testament? And the answer is, it's built upon uh, an uh, example and uh, an inheritance from the Old Testament, of course. So again, a few examples, and some of them will be familiar to you, others may not. Uh, Moses, well, Moses fasted on Mount Sinai after the covenant was renewed. And again, he fasted a very long time. Uh, it was Moses. David, the great King David, uh, we know from Psalm 35 verse 13 that he fasted uh, to pray for other people when they were sick. And in that place, he rather complains that after he had fasted to pray for them when they were sick, they do not care for him. And we also know that David fasted asking God to heal his son. So it's connected very much to prayer, isn't it? Fasting. David fasted for God to heal his son and for other people when they were sick. Nehemiah. Nehemiah fasted when he heard that the walls of Jerusalem were in disrepair. He was greatly troubled by the state of play of God's people. The walls were in disrepair. And his response? Fasting and prayer. And so fasting is connected to crying out to God to new a new thing uh, to revive his people. Uh, Jonah, oh, well, Jonah, of course, uh, preached in the end, the reluctant prophet, to the people of Nineveh, didn't he? And uh, when he finally got there, the people of Nineveh, much to Jonah's surprise, actually repented, and then they proclaimed a public fast as a sign of their repentance. Daniel. Uh, Daniel, at the beginning of the book, we're told uh, he abstained from rich food uh, and, and ate only vegetables uh, for 10 days, and uh, the various reasons perhaps why that was. But then we find uh, later in the book, he did the same thing for three weeks as a, as a fast and uh, connected again to praying. And so as we look at some of these examples, can you see, my friends, that fasting the Bible is uh, for a spiritual purpose, isn't it? Not only for repentance or humility, though it certainly is that, but uh, more generally connected to prayer. Fasting and praying seem very often, if not always, to go together. It's a humble pleading for God's grace and mercy. And so you find that Esther fasted. She had to appear before the king, and she was very frightened that if she did, she would be killed. And so Esther fasted and asked uh, God's people to fast as well. Presumably she was praying, and she was asking them to pray too, because fasting and prayer so often go together in the Bible. 
Ezra fasted. Uh, very fascinating, I think, this fast, because uh, he would, uh, was going on a journey back to Jerusalem, and the pagan rulers offered to give him an army, at least a, a cohort of soldiers, to protect him. And Ezra refused, saying that God would protect, protect them uh, because they were on God's business. And having uh, refused that protection, he then fasted and prayed that God would indeed protect him. And God did. He answered his prayers. One um, possible kind of fast is in the book of Job. Job 31 and verses 16 and following. There you'll find that Job seems perhaps to have a, a practice that he records of limiting his food intake deliberately so that he might share his bread with others. So he didn't eat everything he could have done. He didn't have the most uh, sumptuous feast he could have done in order that he might share what was left over with the poor. And perhaps you remember that uh, in Isaiah, the prophet says, uh, Isaiah, that um, uh, God's fasting, the kind of fasting he wants, is uh, not just not eating, It's for a spiritual purpose. Instead, they're caring for the poor, and we'll think about that a bit later. There was one public formal fast that the Old Testament instituted by Moses under the Mosaic uh, arrangement, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And Jewish people today, those who are very serious, will still fast for 25 hours because of the, the Day of Atonement fast. So fasting is connected to praying. That's the big picture I want you to understand from all those examples. One public formal fast, the Day of Atonement. Now, during the exile, God's uh, people seem to institute more frequent fasts, and so by the time of Jesus, we know that the Pharisees fasted twice a week. So that's some background to why Jesus just says, and when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. But it also gives us a perspective, doesn't it, to understand what fasting is. What is fasting? Fasting is a way of humbling ourselves and asking for God's mercy and grace. Fasting is not a diet. (laughs) Now, maybe some of us need to go on a diet. I, I don't know. I would be beyond my pay grade to decide. But there's nothing wrong necessarily with going on a diet. And uh, perhaps you go to a doctor, they'll talk about a fast in that regard. But this kind of fasting is not a diet. Uh, Nor is fasting a way of getting a handle on personal discipline, sort of controlling your life. Often uh, people will recommend that in other religions. You've just got to get disciplined, and perhaps fasting is one tool, one technique for all that. But it's not just a statement of personal discipline. And it's not just to clear the mind or indeed to clear the body. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily wrong for us to do, but that's not what's been said here. Those things may all have value and could be fine to do at times. But the kind of fasting we're talking about this morning is not any of those. The kind of fasting we're talking about this morning is for spiritual purposes. Fasting and prayer nearly always go together. Fasting is to seek God, it's to humble ourselves, it's to ask for God's blessing. And when you fast. Well, when we fast, we are to fast in a particular kind of way. And uh, 
First, we're to fast not like the hypocrites. So if you look down again with me in your Bibles, you'll see that Jesus carries on. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. So often religion has the reputation of being gloomy. Not at all. It is to be filled with joy to follow Jesus. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. There's nothing more spiritual about being gloomy. For they disfigure their faces, their fasting may be seen by others. We have a severe joy, uh, to uh, coin a phrase. When we fast, in particular, it should not be like the hypocrites. Hypocrisy, what is that? Well, it, it means acting. So Jesus is saying it's putting on a show. That's uh, what he's against. They look gloomy. They made it obvious that they are fasting by appearing very down in the mouth. I'm fasting. It's, it's quite possible that some actually put sort of ashes on their heads to indicate to everyone that they are fasting. So people around could see who is fasting by the fact that their clothes were perhaps ripped or they had ashes on their faces or they look really sad. Like puddle glum, perhaps, if you know that reference. Practically speaking, then, when we fast, it, of course, may be necessary that other people actually know that you're fasting. You may not be able to hide it entirely. And indeed, fasts are recorded in the Bible, as we've just seen. So presumably, people knew they were happening. Otherwise, they would not have recorded them. You know, you can try to hide that uh, you're not eating lunch one day so that you can pray. But if someone comes up to you and says, you know, why are you not eating lunch? Probably, in order to have an appropriate fast, you shouldn't lie, you know. So sometimes you have to, it's going to have to be open, isn't it? Uh, there may be inevitability on occasions that people will know that we're fasting. And if we ever were to fast together as a church, of course, we'd have to communicate about it. And so people would know. Um, but that's different, I think, from making our fasts that people may see. And I wonder whether many of our practices in this regard, as in the other religious practices uh, in the church historically, would come under the scrutiny of the master. It's not to be done so that uh, we may be seen by others. Now, uh, just as a sort of historical example, uh, Simon Stylites uh, came to my mind uh, this week, and I hadn't read about him for a long time, and so I thought I'd do a little bit of research to make sure I understood him appropriately. A very devout man. And in the 3rd and 4th century, he was renowned for his athletic feats of asceticism, that is, going without an ascetic, part of the Desert Father movement in Syria. He went to a monastery, but he was thrown out of the monastery because his fast was so long they threatened the egos of the other monks who were fasting there who couldn't keep up. And then they discovered that he'd, uh, under his clothes, he'd put a rope around his skin and bound it so tight that it cut into his flesh and caused a wound. And different accounts say various things about that, that it was festering or rotting or even that there were worms growing perhaps there. And when they discovered that, they obviously um, dealt with him as far as they could medically and when he recovered, he was asked to leave the monastery and he did. And then when he left the monastery, he proceeded to throw himself down a well 
so that he could look up to heaven and only see the stars and pray, and presumably fast. I mean, I don't know whether he ate in the well, but I think it's unlikely. And then after that, he was rescued at great difficulty because it's much, more, much harder to get someone out of a well than to get into it. And so the poor monks, when they found him, had to drag him out and, and they rescued him. And then he went off to stand on a pillar. People were amazed by his feats of asceticism. So he was gathering a movement and he wanted to be undisturbed. And so he put himself on a pillar. Well, the pillar wasn't high enough. People still disturbed him. So he built it higher and higher three times until it was 30 or 40 cubits high, which is pretty high. And they would come from miles around to watch him. One disciple of his, uh, we're told, um, actually counted the number of times that uh, Simon Stylites bent over and touched uh, his toes with his forehead. He was very thin, so he could go right down. And this was particularly impressive, you see. I, I can hardly touch my toes at all with my hands, let alone my forehead. And he could do it repeatedly. And he, this disciple counted that Simon did it 1,200 times in a row, over 1,200 times. And then the disciple was distracted by something else, you know, something more interesting, and lost count. So there's Simon, you see. He lived for 37 years on the top of a small platform on a pillar. That's why he's called Stylites, after the word for pillar, near a place called Aleppo in the region of Syria. Well, he was uh, doing something very impressive, very devout, and uh, he was seen by many people. Now, the point I'm making is not to criticize Simon. As far as I know, he was a real follower of Jesus and a very devout man and far more godly than I ever will be, I'm quite sure. But our enthusiasm for fasting needs to be Jesus-shaped. And therefore... Uh, done in secret. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now again, obviously, Jesus is fasting for 40 days, a miraculous kind of fasting that we should not attempt to replicate, I think. That, that, that's known to us. It's recorded in the Bible. And so obviously it wasn't secret in the sense of totally hidden. But there's a difference between fasting on your own in a way that uh, no one knows but you and God and that may by necessity, because you're doing it with some friends or as a church, uh, be known to others or subsequently discovered and recorded in someone writing a biography about you for other people's encouragement perhaps. There's a difference between that and um, ascetic behavior that seems very radical but uh, it's not really what Jesus is saying here about fasting. Christianity is not against food. Or drink. Uh, these things are good, given to us to enjoy when received with thanksgiving. We're not the gloomy people. And in fact, the ancient church got into all sorts of controversy about fasting. One of the historians of the church, Philip Schaff, describes how Clement of Alexandria, a leading figure in the ancient church, uh, dealt with this problem. He quoted from Paul, from the Bible. Philip Schaff records it like this. Against the frequent overvaluation of fasting, Clement of Alexandra quotes the words of Paul. Namely, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. And therefore, it's neither abstinence from wine and flesh, but righteousness and peace 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is telling us not to fast in a certain kind of way. Well, how then are we instead meant to fast? He carries on. Can you see, again, my friends in the Bible, he says, but when you fast, that is, his followers, anoint your head and wash your face. Uh, That is, he's not saying, you know, be ridiculously happy when you fast. Jesus isn't advocating that when we're fasting we look abnormally happy. I mean, that would be to replace one kind of hypocrisy with another, wouldn't it? Look at me, I'm fasting. Yay! It's party. It's a party fast. Right? What he's saying is that uh, the oil and washing your face is kind of normal hygiene. You know, put gel in your hair if you still have enough to do so. Or deodorant under your arms, you know. Have a shower. Wash your face. Get on with life as normal Now, this is a little different from the way that some religions practice it, isn't it? And so, as ever, Jesus is controversial. Some religions will deliberately set up a way of fasting so that uh, it's obvious who the special elite people are who are fasting so everyone else can know that they are the specially elite. Jesus seems to be against that. He's not against fasting. He's for fasting fasting. He fasted. After he left, he expected his disciples also to fast, and they did fast. But Jesus is against uh, hypocritical fasting uh, to be seen by others. Instead, it should be uh, by our Father who sees what we do in secret. Now, we are to avoid then fake fasting. And I mentioned Isaiah who said that uh, the kind of fasting that God wanted wasn't just going without food, but caring for the poor. Going without for a purpose, for a spiritual purpose. And we do a lot of that here as a church with our resale shops and other ways and we care for people, the poor. So it's fine to fast. Jesus assumes we'll do it. Sometimes we're going to have to talk about it. If we teach the Bible, we're going to have to mention it. But uh, we're not to do it for show. And, of course, Jesus here gives no instructions about special days or seasons or times of the year. He simply says the fasting that we do, whenever it is that we do it, is to be fasting that is uh, not for show, but uh, is built upon a secret place of devotion. Now, again, there may be times to call a public fast for revival, perhaps, or for a new work of God, or for the sending apart of elders. Esther did this, Nehemiah did this, the early church, it appeared, did this. The Puritans, actually, would call fasts, asking for God to have mercy. But even if we do that, we have to communicate about it so that we could all fast together. We, we don't go around deliberately looking especially somber so other people can know that we are really very religious and spiritually elite. We just go about our lives as normal. That's because fasting is not a human event to gain human approval. It's a spiritual event to humble ourselves before God and ask Him for mercy. Now, I should give some practical instructions before we talk about the benefits of fasting, and Jesus does talk about them as well. 
so a few practical instructions, uh, because if you're going to do this, you need to make sure you do it in the right kind of way. Uh, some people fast from TV or the internet or texting, and, you know, no more texting, and don't watch TV for a day or two or a week. I think that's fine. Uh, obviously, there's not much I can say about it from the Bible. Jesus obviously doesn't address it specifically, but I think it's fine. Um, one uh, practical piece of advice is if you have never fasted before, uh, don't go too crazy about it, you know. You might just uh, skip a meal one day to pray. And in that regard, it should also be uh, mentioned that uh, if you have any doubts about your medical capability of fasting, you should seek medical opinion. I know this may sound rather overly practical, but trust me, it is important. Any fast longer than a day is a significant strain on the body's resources. And I would say that uh, you should not fast from water. I know you can find examples of that in the Bible, but I'm not sure that's something you should do. And if you did, you should definitely have a doctor watching you. And, but when you fast, take plenty of fluids. And when you stop fasting, particularly, and there's some rather sad but funny stories about this, particularly if it's been an extended fast, you need to be very careful about taking food on again. The way that the body works, that uh, if you suddenly take on a lot of food and you haven't eaten for a couple of meals and you think, I could do with four Big Macs now, you know, not a good idea. Um, and again, if you're fasting at all extended, seek medical opinion. I just want to put that out there because I've heard more than one story of a well-meaning, pious person actually becoming seriously ill after a fast because then they immediately switch back to eating as much as they can. So Jesus assumes we'll fast. He wants us to avoid fasting like the hypocrites and instead to fast for the approval of God alone, for spiritual purpose, purposes, fasting and prayer going together. And then with this focus... There is a promised reward. So again, can you look down with me at your Bibles and see, what does Jesus say here? And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So having then guarded against misunderstanding and therefore misappropriation of Jesus' teaching about fasting, I want to underline that Jesus does intend us to fast, and that with that there is a promised reward. Now, you don't need to feel guilty about it if you never fasted, and you may be the kind of person, for medical reasons or personal reasons, that it's just not appropriate for you to do so, fasting from food. Perhaps then you fast from the TV or the internet or something instead. Fake fasting is open to ridiculous caricature, a religious hypocrisy, a pretended humility that's really a form of pride. Jesus has an antidote to all this, both in giving and in praying, and also now in fasting, and that antidote is that there is secrecy. Of course, there's a public necessity to some of these things. They're in the Bible. We do them together. But they're an expression of a far deeper secret devotion. Anything public about it is the tip of the iceberg. Fasting as a religious practice at a merely horizontal human level is deeply problematic. It was the atheist Bertrand Russell who said, from a psychological point of view, we can make no distinction between a man who eats little and sees heaven and the man who drinks much and sees snakes. Or quite. But we're not talking about just a biological effect. We're talking about the work of the Spirit. And uh, we're not just trying to trick our bodies to feel more spiritual. 
Jesus is not talking about the body or meat or drink. He's talking about the spiritual joy and righteousness in the kingdom of heaven. And the part of, point of fasting is this. Here's some of the reward. It gives us time to pray. That's no doubt the main advantage. When you leave off eating, preparing food, shopping for food, doing the dishes, laying the table, it's amazing how much more time you have. Suddenly you have another you know, hour or two or so a day. If you skip a meal, it gives you an hour, say, to seek God in prayer. It just gives you extra time. It's a great advantage. Another advantage is that it acts as a reminder. You may have a particular sin that you wish to defeat. Or you may have a particular ministry that feels stuck. and You're longing for God to revive and you're not sure how to go about that or what way is God is going to do that. And you, you try to pray about it and you read the Bible and you try to seek what God says about uh, the situation, but you're easily distracted. Another email comes into your inbox, another text arrives, it, go, it vibrates in your pocket. You've just begun to think about it and then it's time for breakfast or lunch. There's a little space or time in our modern world for extended focus. And that means we tend to think the same things and say the same things and repeat the slogans of other people rather than having the time to seek a new insight from God's Word or a true change of heart in our own lives. When we fast, the feeling of hunger that grips the belly, <laughs> it's a constant reminder that there's something really important that we're praying about and it helps us concentrate on that thing. It also humbles us, doesn't it, fasting? It reminds us that we are but physical, frail flesh. See, modern life constantly plays a trick on us that we're going to live forever and that if we worship the right gods of money, power, and sex, we will gain fame and freedom and success and be fated forever as great and worthy. Well, then we do not eat for a meal and we realize that we're just a day or two away from meeting our maker. It tells us that we're frail and that no idol is the answer, but only the God of heaven and the Lord of all. And it also communicates to God that we're serious about uh, the matter. It's one thing to pray about something, it's another thing to fast and pray about it. Of course, fasting and praying will not get God to do what we want any more than simply praying about it will get God to do what we want. As we saw last week, our Heavenly Father knows what we need even before we ask Him. It's not about getting God to do something for us. But nonetheless, in God's sovereignty, God has set up the system in such a way that praying and fasting have their promised reward. And fasting does say to ourselves as well as to God, this is important, I'm serious, God. Perhaps uh, you are someone who feels blind like Paul before he was explained the gospel by Ananias. You are religious, you come from a religious background, but a lot of all that religious stuff seems to Skim the surface like water off a duck's back. Perhaps you should fast and pray. 
Perhaps uh, you're not understanding the message. You're not sensing the importance of church or the Bible. Not because there's anything wrong with church or the Bible, but because you need to humble yourself, seek God. Uh, perhaps instead you're someone who's stuck in a sin and now realize, like Nineveh, the preaching of Jonah, that it's time to humble yourself and fast and pray and turn from uh, that sin. Well, I wonder whether you would go home this afternoon and when you take the appropriate medical advice, uh, perhaps skip a meal this week and ask God that He would break the stronghold in your life and that you will walk with Him in joy. Sometimes people will come to me to talk about various habitual problems they have in their lives. And it always surprises me how seldom such people have actually taken that problem to God in prayer. And uh, almost never, I think, have I met someone who's taken it to God in prayer and fasting. Really get serious with God about it. Don't play at church anymore. Why? For the reward, the reward of the Father is the Father of the reward. The reward is God the Father himself. See, Perhaps uh, your sense of God is uh, too small. You're like someone who goes to Redwood National Park in California and you fall asleep at the foot of the trees and you look up and say, it's only a tree. And you need eyes to see the sheer scale of the redwood giant God before you. So you're fascinated by your own power, your own knowledge, your own theology, your own philosophy. And as you gaze around the forest of God... (laughs) all that there is in your own little reality. You need to encounter the God of the forest in his sheer scale and size and immensity and power. And taking a time, a moment perhaps only, to fast. Well, it reminds you that you're human and frail and weak, and dependent on Him. Let's pray together. Father God, we are dependent upon You, and uh, we ask that You would help us to not forget that truth, but to be struck with amazement at your beauty, at your power, to move beyond being fascinated by our human bodies and our human ideas and our human society and our human businesses and our human religion to see you God 
and to worship you. And so in joy and love, be committed to serve you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.